This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Clean in the pipe! Oh, and it's yeah. locked! And it is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Another one in the books, Houdat Nation. The Saints losing Monday night football to the Ravens, and sadly, it was not even close. Steve Geller, along with Jeff Nowak, here on Inside Black and Gold. And Jeff, how are you recovering the day after that miserable outing? I'm trying to figure out how to make a car crash sound. Should I just dub it in? Just yes, definitely, right. Definitely That's how I feel. Like I feel like... My entire experience at the Superdome was just one long car wreck that everyone walked away from, but everyone also has to pay for at the same time. It was, it was just ugly. It was ugly. And, you know, I, I obviously went on this long rant last night after the game. My opinions haven't changed, but we will have some updates. We did t- talk to Dennis Allen today on a conference call. Got a little bit more information. Um, we have very few updates on some injured guys. We do have some updates, so we'll get into those. And we'll kind of catch up on what happened in that game. Steve was down on the sidelines to have some good insight. You know, uh, we saw Ravens fans everywhere making paper airplanes out of the Dome Patrol posters. That's always fun. So we're going to talk about that. In the second segment, we're going to go into studs and duds. I actually have a pretty solid stud, as crazy as that sounds. But, you know, it's going to be tough to find many. So it's going to be more like like duds and duds. But we're going to go into that and, like, who stood out the least in that game that very few people stood out in. And then the final segment, we're going to kind of reset So we're heading into week 10. There's eight games left. We're going to reset and kind of establish, okay, what do we expect from these final eight games? How many games can we reasonably, you know, notch the Saints in the win column for? Can they ever win back-to-back games ever again? You know, like, who knows? But we're going to get into that. But first, I I, want to kind of gauge, Steve, you know, what was your experience on the field? Because from the press box, it sure felt like there was a lot of Ravens fans in that building. Yeah, and just real quick, do you know what a flock of Ravens is called? A murder. No, it's crows. Right, that's crows. Because That's why I looked it up, because I thought it was murder at first, too. I was trying to be all creative with my morning sports. No, a flock of Ravens is an unkindness. An unkindness? Yeah, and how fitting was that for that game, right? Yeah, they were very unkind. You mentioned, and I think we talked about it, obviously, pregame on our first take show from Rouse, is that... You know, I wanted to see the energy again in the Superdome, what it was going to be like. And, man, early on, I thought the crowd, the the home crowd, was really into it. But you felt, after that first touchdown, just the air gets sucked out of the Superdome. And 
I was quite surprised when Baltimore scored how much cheering I heard, not booing. And it was just one of those moments where I stopped and looked around, and then you really noticed a lot of purple in the stands. There was a lot of purple. There really and, was. And obviously later in the game when things were filtering out for the Houdat Nation when they knew this game was over, you really it was really pronounced. And if then the and the crowd was still plentiful at that point. It wasn't like it was an empty house. Yeah, there were a lot of people in the building, but I would still gauge it was probably like 80% Ravens fans. And I don't blame Saints fans for leaving when the team puts on that type of performance. Right. Uh, I wish I could you, yeah, you deserve early departures. And it, the, the wild thing is it wasn't a blowout in the sense that, you know, the Ravens only put up 27 points, right? Like the Saints, if they were ever able to get their act together, could have got back into that game. They just weren't able to. But it's it's rare to see fans leave that early in a game where you only allow 27 points for an offense that's averaging 30, right? So yeah. like it, it was it was weird. And you heard the chant. See, I, I watched it. I didn't watch it on TV, but I know that you could hear that on the broadcast because I saw people tweeting about it. And they were just doing their Ravens chant. I can't even remember what it is offhand, but it's yeah. the Seven Nation Army, the oh, 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 oh. Yes, that's it. Yeah, and they were doing it just nonstop. And it was the there was no no interference. There was like usually in your home stadium when the opposing fans start to do that, you'll get it'll get drowned out by like boo or like your own chant, right? In this case, there was no one left to counter it. So it was literally the only thing you could hear in the stadium. How demoralizing must that be on the field for the players when you hear the opposing team's chant in your building? Like it was there was a point where the Saints were down 14 after that kind of, you know, go to hell touchdown by Juwan Johnson. And, you know, if they'd gotten a stop, you know, we saw something crazy like that against Washington a few years back where like you were down 14 and you got a stop and you scored and then you got the ball back and you scored again. Like it's, it's not impossible. It's, it was never going to happen, but it's not impossible. But like when the fans in the stands are cheering for the other team, uh, you're not going to stop that team running the ball. They're going to run it down your throat, and they're going to win. That's what happened. Oh, it was so demoralizing. And I don't know. I, I was thinking when Jawan Johnson scored, should I pick up him, him up in fantasy because he seems to be like the ultimate garbage time scoring factor on this team? We saw him do that in the Arizona game. Yeah, two touchdowns in the Arizona game. Right, yeah, as, exactly. long as, as long as you don't have a chance to win the game, he is going to star. <laughs> and, hey, that's, oh, the, that's the case a lot for the Saints. And if the injuries don't get better – it's no, probably right. going to be the the same case, uh, you know, week in, week out, which, you know, even if they are healthy, who knows? But Steve, can, can you kind of give us a rundown of all the injuries and, you know, what what you know of for these guys? Yeah, I, I will say, and I, although I think I said this one of the previous weeks when I was seeing Michael Thomas on the sideline and I was all giddy, like, oh, it's a positive sign that he's close to coming back. And then a couple of days later, the Saints put him on injured reserve. Well, on Monday Night Football, actually saw Marshawn Lattimore on the bench, and that was the okay. first time I've seen him around the team. We haven't seen him at practice at all, but like I, I you know, you got to figure at least he's around this ball club right now, so it's a positive. But in the game, uh, the biggest loss I thought, obviously, in linebacker Pete Werner, uh, the cart ended up coming to take him back to the locker room. I suffered an ankle injury on his right foot, and that's going to be a big one for this team. Obviously, he's their leading tackler a guy that we've talked about so much in this second season as as having made great strides. And, you know, really crazy, he didn't have much training camp, if at all, because of that groin issue and has just been a solid performer all season long for this team. Uh, another one on defense this team lost was uh, Marcus Davenport with a calf injury to defensive end, uh, adding another calf injury for Eric McCoy, the team's center, and then late in the game, Andrus Pete walked to the locker room under his own power, and the team never really clarified what his issue was. But, man, he's, he's a guy that you always have to worry about, whether it's, you know, leg, thumb, chest, shoulder. It's always something with Andrus Pete. So interested to see the first injury report of the week heading into Steelers game. He's out with a Pete. He's out with a P, right? <laughs> there was also one other injury that yeah, I think you clarified for me today, which was Alante Taylor. He went down. I want to say it was the second quarter. It was midway through that long Ravens touchdown drive. You know, what was he dealing with? Yeah, it ended up just being cramps for him. And I think we saw that in the Arizona game Thursday night. I recall yeah. him coming back to the bench and just chugging like two of those small uh, Powerade, Gatorade drinks to get back 
on the field. But, yeah, there was nothing major with him, thankfully, just cramping up in the game. And, you know, that young guy getting all those snaps now, hopefully we do see Marshawn Lattimore back to provide some more aid to that secondary who's really been hurting. Dennis, is there any uh, optimism that Marshawn Lattimore? Yeah, I think he's closer. Um, you know, we'll, we'll monitor him throughout the week. He's he's uh, um, he's picked up the intensity of his of his workouts. You know, in terms of the rehab process, and so um, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll get him back sooner than later. I mean, um, you know, it's a tough injury to come back from, and and uh, he's working hard to get back. Yeah, so that's what Dennis Allen said today, and that sounds pretty positive. You know, he's picking up the intensity of his workouts, in, and whenever you hear it's more about pain than anything else, that's a that's actually a good sign because, you know, if you're be able to work through it and it is not a situation where playing with that injury will exacerbate it, then your chance to get back kind of, you know, it ticks up, right? So that's a good sign. Hopefully we see him out on the practice field. It doesn't sound like the Saints are actually going to practice on Wednesday, which is, you know, a surprise to me. I expected them to they don't practice on Tuesdays typically, or at least they won't have open practice availability. I don't know what they'll be doing, but yeah, that's what, that's what it sounds like. And that so wouldn't get into too much detail though, with the Lattimore injury. No, no. And I mean, I think, I think DA is trying to pull back a little bit on the amount of injury information he gives out because, and I, and I don't blame him because it, it gets weaponized against him when it ends up being incorrect. And a lot of times you're just guessing. You don't know. He's not right. a doctor, right? He's walking, he's not walking around with an MRI machine, right? And I think he would have rather just shut down all these constant Mike Thomas questions, timeline questions, because then what happens? Oh, the doctors say, well, actually, we did an MRI and this happened and it looks like this and he's going to have to get shut down. And then DA is the one who has to come out and, and, and look like an, an idiot because what he said on Monday versus what the reality was on Thursday. And that's kind of how he addressed the Pete Werner injury today. We don't know how significant that ankle injury was because he wouldn't tell us. He wouldn't give us a timetable or anything. So we're going to have to kind of see. And the significance of not practicing on Wednesday is we won't get an actual injury report for that game. You're only going to get the kind of the estimated injury report, which is kind of how they handle Thursday night football, if you recall that. So it'll be one to watch, though, because it's still going to it's still supposed to be a factual accounting of who would have participated. So we're going to get a lot of information one way or the other. There was a moment on Monday Night Football, too, where I know everybody held their collective breasts that were Saints fans when Alvin Kamara seemed to limp off. But he only missed a play and came right back in. And I don't know if it was, you know, a small ankle issue or whatever, but that's the one definitely I'll be keeping an eye on. We'll be keeping an eye on when that injury report comes out, obviously, because. I don't know if he's try- he, he tried to play through something or if it was really nothing. Yeah, I mean, he was minimally involved. Yeah. I don't know if that's more to do with the, the situation, right? You're coming back in the second half. Taysom Hill was also minimally involved, right? You, you didn't get a lot of plays, right? No, you, I think the all. Ravens ran 20 more plays than you did. They had the ball for nearly 20 more minutes than you did. So it was just, you know, the offense didn't extend drives and – you lose the ability to get guys the ball. You don't get the touches. And then for whatever reason, Dwayne Washington was the hero of this game in Pete Carmichael's mind. I don't, I, I like Dwayne Washington. I really do. I think he works hard and he's a good special teamer, but I, it, 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 it pains me to have to try to figure out why on second and seven in the red zone, you are running a Taysom Hill, Dwayne Washington zone read, right? Either put it in Taysom's hands or get Taysom off the field in that in that situation. You don't want to be in third and long because they crashed on Taysom, which they're going to do because they want Dwayne Washington to end up with the ball, right? Like, if you are a defender in that situation, who are you going to, right? So you are effectively guaranteeing Dwayne Washington gets the ball just by having him in that combination. It's either got to be Taysom and AK or a designed run to Taysom, or you don't call it. Anyway, it doesn't bother me. They elevated Jordan Howard. He got, I think, like one snap on offense. He did not get a touch. I just, like the play calling in that game, I I, I went on this long rant last night. I don't need to do it again, but the play calling in that game was brutal. It was not helped by the fact the offensive line was trash. Right. We we gave the the offensive line so much shine over the last couple weeks. The bottom six rated players per PFF, five of them were, and, and this is the order, Andres Pete, Eric McCoy, Cesar Ruiz, Calvin Throckmorton, Ryan Ramchek. <laughs> Those were five of the bottom six graded players for the Saints. Bizarrely, James Hurst 
was the second highest graded player in that game. So okay. the guy, it's nothing in this season makes sense, right? Nothing right. makes sense. And that is just another good example of it. Like the guy you went into this season worried about was the only one who actually held his own as an offensive lineman in that game. Uh, and and I, you know, and I do want to give credit to Caesar Ruiz. He struggled. He played a majority of that second half at center. Yeah. What are you going to do? I think, that was also part of the reason, you know, Andy Dalton didn't just get hit in that game. Andy Dalton got blown up in that game. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Andy Dalton's on the injury report tomorrow based on some of those hits he took. No, you mentioned, you know, we talked about injuries and he took a good shot to his back yeah. where he came back to the bench and they definitely, you know, were icing him down and checking him out, was doing a little throwing even to try and stay loose and, and check out, you know, if it was affecting him at all. But yeah, you're exactly right. I would not be surprised. If Dalton shows up on there, I will say, you know, at least two uh, you've mentioned before with Chris Olave, man, another decent performance for him. You mentioned all the time. It's like the guy's always open and that that even seemed the case yesterday on a Monday night. He's always open. All right. So we're going to close this out shortly. But first, I did want to draw attention to two things. One, last night I kind of went into D.A. kind of coming out and say, oh, yeah, I chatted with Mickey Loomis right before I came out here and we talked about the run defense and. You know, based on what, you know, Nick Underhill from Football, he reported that, you know, this is a normal thing. Dennis Allen meets with Mickey after every game. Sean Payton did the same thing. So it's not necessarily a smoking gun that anything is like. He wasn't saying get your uh, behind your, the scenes. The right. in your desk ready. But at the same time, I'm sure that conversation isn't isn't good. I'm sure it's not a happy conversation when it happens after a game like that. So who knows? Um, but that's that is some valuable context. The next one, and I and I was going in on this on Twitter a little bit today. Tyron Matthew kind of pointed out that on third downs, there were instances where in like third and six, third and seven, third and eight, they weren't able to get lined up correctly. And this is exactly what he what he had to say. Coming into the game, we felt like, you know, if we were able to kind of get them in third and six or longer, then it would kind of work out into our you know favor. Um, you know, I felt like early on in the game, we just didn't play tight enough in coverage. Um, then a couple of those third downs, um, you know, we just couldn't get lined up. You know what I mean? So I uh, kind of just gave them, you know, a first down. Uh, so you know, I think anytime you let those guys extend drives, um, they usually end up with some kind of points. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the issue I had was not that he – what he said was not an issue. It was that someone pointed out that they was like, oh, Tyron Matthews still doesn't know where he's supposed to go, and that's on the coaching. And, you know, like, that's not necessarily true. What he said there was they weren't able to get lined up. So, you know, if if he's the one who's aware of that, that means that he did know where he was supposed to go, and it was other people messing up. So it's like, who knows? It's tough to assign blame in that situation, but not knowing what you're supposed to do and not being able to execute what you're supposed to do, are, they're two different things, right? And so I asked Dennis about that. Uh, yeah, one of the things Tyron said after the game was there was a few third down situations where there was some confusion and, you know, guys didn't get lined up quite correctly. Did you, were you able to figure out the culprit for that, you know, in those instances? Yeah, well, you know, we had, a, we had, we had, one, we had one call um, where, uh, you know, we wanted the corners to stay and, and, and uh, uh, Alante went over. Uh, caused a little bit of confusion. Uh, that was one third down in the game. Uh, I didn't, really didn't feel like there was anything else in terms of confusion uh, in, in, in being able to get lined up. Um, you know, last night, you know, you know, we talked a lot about third down being a big factor in the game and, 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 and really, uh, you know, they had nine conversions on third down, six of which were third and one to two. So, uh, just our ability to get guys into longer yardage situations. The two, the you know, the two uh, plays that hurt. I think they had two third and seven, third and eight conversions. Uh, those are the ones that we really needed to eliminate. Yeah. So he threw a lot under the bus a little bit there. <laughs> um, but you know that, that makes sense. It's a rookie still kind of figuring it out. And I think there are a lot of instances like that throughout a game where you might not even notice them, and someone slightly messes up an assignment. It stands out when you're in third and eight deep in Baltimore territory, which was the case early on in that 12 play touchdown drive that put them up 14 to nothing. If you remember, they had a sec, they had a snap on second and 15. Lamar Jackson was surrounded by four saints defenders and he's fine. Somehow finds a way to get it to Mike Davis, turns it into third and eight. 
And then third and eight, I can't remember who it was. The tight end came across the middle, wide open, unaccosted. That was one of those plays where Tyron Matthew kind of had his arms out, like, what's going on here? And he just, you know, was by himself for that first down conversion. And then that drive ends up being a seven-minute drive that honestly I think took all of the momentum, energy, juice out of the defense, and they just had nothing the rest of the game. No, I would, I would agree, and there, there wasn't much juice anyway, it seemed, in these boys uh, in this game. I, like I said, after that first touchdown, it really felt like things swayed dramatically uh, on the field and in the Superdome in general. But, yeah, I was wondering, you know, I, I, didn't, I couldn't tell a lot of the blame of where to go, but to me, I didn't feel like Marcus May had a very good game either for this team. But I, there, there's a lot of players – you know, uh, I think Dennis Allen said you, there's a lot of blame going around in this game. Yeah, a lot of dirty hands, I think is how he put it. Right. A bad day at the office for Andy Dalton is how he put it, which <laughs> he needs to he needs to get better at how he phrases things when Andy Dalton is not doing well. Because I'm kind of getting tired of every time he struggles, like uh, it's not an know. issue. Like, why is he getting a pass for struggling when he struggles? I don't understand it, but like we can admit that he was not good in that game. Uh, anyway, it, it's it's getting tiring. You know, I, I thought there was going to be a point where it was like, all right, we're going to at least go with Taysom at quarterback because of how bad Dalton was doing. I don't blame him for keeping him in the game. I don't think changing quarterbacks over and over again is a good move when you're trying to just figure it out. But like, we can all acknowledge that Andy didn't play well. Like, you don't have to give me another a bad day at the office. That's just, it makes it yeah. sound like you are not holding him accountable. And that's not a good look. Well, like what you're saying there, that's why I figured I wouldn't put Jameis in, but I did think that at least give a drive to Taysom under center to see how it would go. Yeah, I'd like to see Taysom get involved in some right. way. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 was, it was just ugly. It was ugly. But yeah, so one last thing before we go. If anyone understands what the hell Justin Tucker is talking about, I need you to, to t- tweet at me and tell me. Justin Tucker, you know, <laughs> you're a man of the people. Um, but Marlon, you, last time you had me on here, you, I got I got myself into a little trouble. All you, right? you get below, man. Now you're gonna have me mess around and say something silly like racks on racks, smoking on that Saints pack. But I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get myself in trouble again. So I'm, I'm smoking on that Saints pack. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, I, I even tweeted out. I'm like, can anyone tell me what this means? And a lot of folks were just like, oh, he's just, you know, rolling, you know, trolling the Saints because the Ravens smoked, you know, smoked the black and gold in their building. And I'm like, I, I guess that's the explanation. But yeah, his his little rhyme made no Not sense. Not a good rhyme. <laughs> racks like, on racks. Well, like. Or was it rats? I think he said racks on racks. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. We'll get Justin Tucker on the program to explain it. Hopefully, yeah, that, that's that's next next week. We'll have Justin Tucker in here to begin his 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 budding freestyle rap career. That's what we'll have. I mean, maybe he's trying to get that swag that uh, what's his name, uh, the Minnesota quarterback Kirk Cousins was uh, showing off in the, in their plane flight. Now, I even saw Adam Schefter on the field shirtless on Monday Night Football copying Kirk Cousins. So, white boy dads trying to be uh, gangsters, I think now. Yeah, it's it's uh, the NFL. It's is drunk right now. I think <laughs> that's how it feels for sure. <laughs> Let's wrap this segment up. We're gonna come back and go through the duds and the duds and more duds and even even duds after that because there's you can basically just go down the roster and name them. This is Inside Black and Gold. Hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast and stick around. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. Don't look the Saints lost again. Just kidding. Um, Hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. We are going into our studs and duds segment, our favorite part of the program when they win and our least favorite part of the program when they lose, which is a lot these days. The Saints are three and six. 
There have been a lot of duds in these performances, and this game is no exception. So, Steve, who is your dud for this game? Well, he's a guy that's been in my duds before, then got elevated last week into a stud, but now back in the dud list for me is offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael Jr. I don't know what the heck was going on this game, and I don't know if he was either, honestly, just between uh, the the looks he was given this squad, and I understand that the Baltimore front was obviously making the run game a lot more difficult, but again, just what happened to Taysom Hill uh, just seems improbable and likely and ridiculous that he's so limited in this offense when he's definitely a spark when he's on the field. I think I feel it, you feel it, the fans feel it, and for some reason they're just not utilizing him enough, I feel like. And once again, no no catches in this game. He had one rush, one passing attempt. Uh, I'm wondering if that rib injury is still something that is an issue. I was trying to watch him on the sideline. I couldn't tell anything that was really hampering him at all. He did have an interesting long conversation between him and Jameis Winston. And like Jameis was locked into whatever Taysom was telling him. And I was trying to eavesdrop, but could not make out anything. Uh, but to me, yeah, P. Carmichael Jr., just inexcusable for the misuse of Taysom Hill and just play calling overall, I thought was abysmal. Yeah, I mean, Taysom wasn't on the injury report all week. So, right. you know, there, if if he was dealing with something heading into the game, they did not report it. Um, and so I think he was fine. There was that play. Remember, he he kind of lowered his head and took on the tackler. And I'm wondering, did he do something on that play to re-aggravate it? No, I, but I mean, it was from the start of the game. Like it, it's the first drive of the game. You face third and one. Yeah, <laughs> and like this is a this is a situation that all season you have successfully gone to QB power, <laughs> and it's like they know what you're going to do. Like I get it. You don't want to project every time what you're going to do, but it's a situation where it doesn't matter that they know what you're going to do you have been able to do it. You've been able to execute it. And for some reason in this game, you didn't want to establish that on the opening drive, which makes no sense. Like I get it. If it's later in the game and they've been doing a good job against it, then fine, do something else. But on the first drive of the game, you're just testing things out. Why are you not going to that? It, I, I think part of the issue was this was a, the first drive of the game is typically scripted and you didn't want to go off script maybe, but you ran Alvin Kamara into an 11-man box. And if you're going to run into an 11-man box, don't you want to have 10 blockers? It does. It didn't make sense. And I just think he got a little too cute in this game, and he just it got away from him. It really did. And so I agree with that completely. Speaking um, of Alvin Kamara, we have podcast, I won't say breaking news, but new news. The transaction wire has come out, and apparently the Saints have worked out free agent running backs, Derek Gore, Antonio Williams and Jaquan Hardy after releasing Jake Funk from the practice squad. Is that Frank's son? That's a great question. I'll have to look that up because I am not familiar with Derek. I'm I'm pretty sure it is. Play college football, Louisiana, Monroe, and Alabama. No, all Gores are not related, Jeff. It's Derek Gore, Frank Gore's son. I can't be the only person to have Googled this. <laughs> I need to share my screen so you can see the actual result that came up. Look at the very, very specific answer. Derek Gore isn't related to Frank Gore in any in way. Any way. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting to get that specific of an answer. It's a, it's a wild time to be alive. That's all I can say about that. But yeah, you completely destroyed my train of thought here. So yes, Derek Gore. I mean, you elevated Jordan Howard and you just chose not to use him. Like, why? Right. It's like, not like I, he underperformed or or had like a horrible game on you. No, I mean, he was out there. He was wearing 28. I saw him on a couple snaps. You know, right. it's like, give him the ball. Let's see what he has. Right. Like, why? It's just, if you were going to use Dwayne Washington to begin with, then why did you even elevate Frank Gore? Right. It doesn't, I, I just, it, mm, yeah, I, it, I'm exactly. not a fan There's of it. so many questions that are just, you know, you start banging your head against the wall kind of thing. It's like, what are they doing? Do they know what they're doing? Did I just say Frank Gore instead of Jordan Howard? 
<laughs> I might have. Either way. Um, so let's kind of change track here. And so I was able to come up with one one stud for this game, in my opinion, that was not on the Ravens, at least. And it was... The refs! Oh, I actually thought the refs, Brad <laughs> Rogers and that crew, had an excellent game. Yeah, fans can't blame them for this one. No! I thought they were fantastic. There was two really close calls that they got right on the field, like that fumble by Andy Dalton or the, the right. non-fumble. Like I, I, I would have bet money when I saw it live that he did not hold on to that ball. Same but he here. Did. He must have the strongest hands. Like the, that's one thing I came away impressed with from Andy Dalton is his grip strength is fantastic. Because I have no idea how he held on to that ball over his head with one hand as he was getting hit, but he did. And the refs got it right on the field. And if they had gotten that wrong. It would have been difficult to overturn because it was so close, but they got it right, so it was easier. The Jawan Johnson touchdown, again, they got that right. It was close. They got the call right on the field and they and they held it up. I didn't I don't remember any egregious roughing calls. I don't remember any bad pass interference calls. Right. They called a correct ineligible man downfield penalty on the Ravens that set up that second and 15 that the Saints were unable to get the fu- off the field on. I mean, we give so much crap to the officiating and the officials in the Superdome, especially. Right. And so I feel like that crew deserves credit because I thought they did a great job. And when you, when you are going through a studs and duds segment and the only people you can think to applaud are the officials, you know, it was a rough day. I was going to say, do we know their names offhand or no? Brad Rogers is the is the crew chief. Okay. I'm not going to go through the entire, but that's the, the Brad Rogers yeah. crew. I would like to see them do more Saints games because I, I thought they were really good. I really did. Yeah, I agree. And then obviously they didn't make themselves a factor in the game with too many right. flags either. Right. And you know, so like, so that's my, that is my only non-Raven stud for this game. I was thinking, I was like, I don't know how you're going to come up with a stud in this game because I can't in my right mind give it to anybody. I might say Chris Olave just because he was a top receiver and always is impressive. Always impressive, though, to see what he does considering there's still no Jarvis Landry, still no Michael Thomas. The man is the only guy. Yeah, he had a big catch before halftime, right, like this to set up that scoring opportunity. I think this is another situation again in this game where, man, you miss Jarvis Landry because – I like Marquez Callaway. I don't want Marquez Callaway to be the guy I'm throwing to in that pivotal moment at the end of the first half. Because I think that that's, you know, while Andy might have been able to put a ball on him a little better than that, he still got to go make that catch, right? Like, I think he jumped a little too early. He didn't track it through the air very well. And yeah, he just got to go high point that ball and catch it. You know, Jarvis probably catches it with one hand. Yeah, we see that all the time in practice, him messing <laughs> right. around. Um, and so, like... That's the frustrating thing is you know you you brought in the wide receivers that you feel like are able to do the job and you are still seeing Marquez Callaway in those moments. And I, I I saw a lot of people after the game trashing Marquez Callaway and saying, Man, he's he's terrible. And it's like, no, he is what he is. Mm. Like you there's a reason that you didn't want to go into the season with him as your wide receiver, too. Right? Like he's a solid depth receiver, but he is a depth receiver. He doesn't block very well. That that is something that is is bugging me about Marquez more than anything else. That that Dwayne Washington reverse from Taysom Hill. One of the reasons it didn't work was that well, Marquez first of all was asked to block two people, but he didn't block either, and they both got through. And so like when you're a running back and you're one on one with somebody, that's usually advantage running back. You can make a guy miss when you're when it's two on one. You're not going to be able to do that. And it was, that was the case because Marquez Callaway couldn't land his block. So. He's probably on my dead list as well. I uh, will say I was disappointed not to see uh, Adam Troutman really do much. I was hoping that one his catch, re- yeah, one catch. I was hoping his return to the lineup would add a little more boost to this offense, but still, not a much from the Trout man. No, Fishman did not do the job. Another dud for me, hmm. Rashid Shahid. Yeah, I gotta go. I agree with you. You know, it's it's tough because his role is limited, right? Like, he doesn't do that much, but when your role is limited, you need to execute that role. Right. I, I feel the same way about Blake Gillikin all season. Like, you only do one thing. You have to do it at a high level, and Rashid didn't do that in this game. He wasn't able to get up underneath Jordan Stout's um, opening punt, his first punt of the game. And, you know, I understand it came off weird. It was like a knuckleball. If you feel that punt, that saves you 26 yards. Like we make a big deal about long returns. The 
to me, the bigger thing for a punt returner is saving yards. It is getting up and fielding the ball so it doesn't roll for 26 yards. And that was a big moment in that game. That's a big, that's a quarter of the field. Um, and so he wasn't able to do that. And that's the thing. When you are a return specialist, now if this is if this is Jarvis Landry going back there, if this is Chris Olave going back there, that's one thing, right? This is a return specialist. There's a reason he's not that heavily incorporated into the offense because he's a return specialist. And so that that's what bugged me. And he he almost he almost muffed another one. I think he was having a hard time tracking Jordan Stout's ball in the air. And you know maybe this is a something you give credit to Jordan Stout for. Maybe he has this weird kind of screwball kick. But that second one, he had to like reach behind him. I thought he was for sure going to drop that, um, but he did manage to catch it. So he's a, you know, he's not a full dud, but he's like, you know, it kind of like halfway went off, right? It was like a, like if you have like a, like a sparkler that like burned halfway and then went out. No, and then seeing him trip again, obviously you're like, come on, what's going on? You need to. He had, a decent, he had one decent return in the in the return game. I thought he had like a 14, 15 yard return, but yeah, I mean, it, it's the, it, you know, I want to see the. Like, like the big returns are great, but you have to nail the small details before you get to the big details. And I think that's where you missed it. So he's on and, my list. And to me, too, you mentioned Blake Gillikin there as well. What's happened to him since that booming 81-yarder in Green Bay in the preseason? We haven't seen that at all translate into the regular season. He's been then. a non-factor. I, I um, mean, he did get drug tested after that. So wait a minute, conspiracy? <laughs> <laughs> but he passed the test. <laughs> Just getting drug tested is what is what took away his powers. Yeah, Honestly, I don't, I don't know. It just it's, it was amazing because we were all obviously you know giving him his flowers for that huge punt in the preseason, but we haven't seen it at all. And he punts in a dome. Maybe he started taking steroids because he figured he wasn't going to get tested again, and that's just thrown off his balance. It's bulked him up too much. Because <laughs> like, hey, once you get drug tested, you you know you should feel free and clear, right? You're not going to get drug tested again for a little while. And I'm guessing he had family and friends there because, you know, pregame you see folks on the sideline. And I saw a Blake Gillikin jersey and wow. and a Blake Gillikin jacket. I mean, he hasn't had a ton of bad punts. Like, the only real shank I can remember was against the Bengals. But they just, you know, he was elite last year. Yeah. He has not been this year. He has not influenced the results of games in any way. He has not been able to flip field position. He has not been able. I can't remember a single kick from him getting downed inside the 10 yard line. Like not, not the three, not the five, the 10. I, I don't, I don't know if he's had one this year. No, I can't think of any offhand this season either. Those are the types of punts that can change a game because, you know, if the defense does its job, you, you know, you have a huge advantage there and you can, you know, a lot of it. I would love to see the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but I guarantee you, if you, if you looked up like drives that start from the 20 versus drives that start inside the 10, the percentage of three and outs skyrockets <laughs> because when you're that close to your goal line, you have to be careful. And the defense also, you can play aggressive because you're not worried about, Oh yeah. He's not going 95, 95 yards down the field, right? Like he's not going to sit back in that pocket and wait for somebody to get out. So you can be a little more aggressive and, but when you're at the 20, you don't have to worry about that. And and that's the frustrating thing because you felt like special teams was going to be a significant advantage for the Saints. And at best, it's been a non-factor. I'm um, actually surprised. I'm looking at this. They have inside the 20, and he's had 12 kicks this year inside the 20. Has he really? I, I know. I'm surprised by it as well. Seven at home, five away. Jeez. I don't remember any of them. <laughs> he had two last night. Inside the 20. Inside the 20, yeah. Well, so yeah, he had one that there was that drive that we were talking about where the Ravens were deep in their own territory, but it still wasn't inside the 10. I think they right. got it at like the 16. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's similar. Like, that's basically a touchback. But yeah, I mean, no, I, I think he has been a, a, a letdown this season. And it's like he's a punter. You don't expect a lot out of the punter, but I feel like you do when he had the type of season he did last year and you haven't seen it. My last one, I'll finish this on a positive note. Two guys wow. that I thought actually had a decent game on the defensive side of the ball. Like, no one tackled Lamar all night, so I'm not going to get overly critical of, of these guys not being able to take down Lamar because literally no one did. But I thought Peyton Turner and Carl Granderson had decent days, kind of, you know, on a, on a defensive line that really kind of got bullied. And I say that because one of my big critiques of this team is the lack of athleticism across the line and 
it's in the linebacker group. You know, you don't like, there's no one on this team on this defense that like you you think is going to like track down Lamar Jackson, right? Like once they get out, they're gone. Uh, you're not beating anyone to the edges of the field. And, but I think Peyton Turner is, is a guy who does have that kind of extra gear at the defensive end position. I think Carl Granderson is like that as well. Kind of runs like a gazelle. Um, and so I think that they did a decent job. And the uh, the rest of the defensive line, I can't say as much. The interior rush did not do its job, especially late in the game. Um, and yeah, it, it was a struggle. But I thought those two guys, for young players, they're going to be important to this team, right? You you talk about a lot of a lot of people are going to be talking about tearing it down and, and starting from scratch and doing all this. Those are going to be two guys who you would want to build around. Right. Those are the, so like you want to see those guys getting better. And I think that that we've seen that the last couple of weeks with Peyton Turner. Have you gotten a chance to break down your film yet here for this game or no? No, I mean, I don't even have the L22 yet. That's the okay, problem. Yeah, with Monday night. I, I'm just curious. I thought Demario Davis might have had a decent game, but uh, I mean, that's it's trying to find, you know, the, the the diamond in the rough there kind of thing. I mean, he's always solid. You know, he, right. he doesn't miss tackles. I think he's a, he's a step slower this season than what we've seen in years past. But he's also been being used more as a pass rusher. Right. Um, he, he did have a sack. He has a career-high six sacks yeah. in 10 games, right? So I think his role is a little different because the pass rush has not been as effective this season, and that's impacting his ability to, to play the run as a linebacker, right? But, but he is also a really effective blitzer. He's a very good blitzer in terms of timing, in terms of you know setting it up. He forced a field goal with one blitz because he just forced Lamar to throw the ball before he was ready. And that is one thing you see Lamar Jackson. If you can put pressure on him and force him to throw on the run, he is a much less accurate quarterback. He, wants uh, he was mad run. at himself a few times. He wants to run to run. He doesn't want to run to throw. And he will, he will extend. But if you get him on the run, he struggles, and and because there was wide open receivers throughout that game, it could have been a much worse game than it was. But they were able to put some pressure on him, and it, when he's trying to escape, he gets a little inaccurate. And you saw that a few times, where it's like he had guys wide open, he just missed them. Um, yeah, so I forget like, it was the third or fourth quarter, but he would he stayed on the ground after you know trying to get the throw off uh, to his receiver, and no, he he missed a wide open target and just was there, you know, pounding the turf. Because yeah. he was so ticked off. No, I mean, he has a really good arm when he can stand in the pocket and deliver. Uh, you know, I, I think, like, that's where he loses it a little bit is when he gets to the edges of the field. But he did throw a really nice ball to Deshaun Jackson after he fumbled it and picked it up and kind of, like, just scrambled around. And, like, I feel like nine times out of ten, you're you're going to end up seeing a receiver by themselves downfield because yeah. it's it's hard to maintain that coverage when all this craziness is going on, you don't know who has the ball. You don't know what's happening. And all of a sudden you're trying to keep up with Deshaun Jackson. But I thought, I, I don't know if Alante had a great game. You know, we did hear Dennis Allen kind of say he missed an assignment at one point, but I thought of that play was really impressive that he was able to stick with Deshaun Jackson and, and break that up. That was the third down play and it forced a punt. We had talked about that too pregame where we were worried about having Deshaun Jackson, you know, come up off the practice squad and have a huge 70, 80 yard catch. And then, you know, that's all he would do the whole game. But he had, but, he did end up leaving though with a hamstring issue. So yeah, the, the old man couldn't stay on the field. Yeah. He's a, uh, yeah, not gonna, not gonna it'd be huge impact. But okay. That's it for me. Do you have any more you want to bring up? No, and I mean, we could bang on a lot of guys, and I think we brought up most of the duds from the game. Uh, didn't didn't really mention Andy Dalton, but I think that goes without saying. Uh, yeah, for that he's definitely in the dud category, but we went through a lot with him. You know, right. oh, the one I didn't mention that I meant to mention was the offensive line and Andy Dalton. Uh, yeah, That's great. That was, that was actually my biggest dud, and I completely <laughs> forgot to bring it up until just now because there's just so many. But so – you know, I don't think Andy Dalton as a passer, I think he was fine, right? Like when he had receivers, he hit them. When he was able to get the ball off, he hit them. You know, that throw to Marquez Callaway notwithstanding. But he did not handle the rush. No. At all. At all. And for a veteran quarterback, you got to be better than that. For a guy who you know isn't going to run, you got to be better than that. And part of it was losing your center. I think Eric McCoy makes a lot of the line calls and that affects them. But, you know, you're a veteran guy. You have to be able to settle your offensive line down and figure it out. And he never was in that game. He did not handle the rush well at all. He had three balls batted down at the line. When it happens once, you say, you know, shame on you, right? When it happens three times, it's like it's your fault because you are not adjusting. I think Tom Brady used to do this drill where they would like literally stand there with tennis rackets 
Yeah. And he would try to throw it and they would try to bat it down, you know, because that's something you have to be aware of as a quarterback when you can't just, you can't just throw it like two inches over the shoulder of a defensive lineman and expect him not to react to it. And once it happens twice, you should be on high alert for it. And and then the third time end of the game. And so like, that's something, you know, again, it's like, these are things that you would expect a veteran savvy, you know, quarterback to, to be prepared for. And it just didn't seem like he was in that game. Like he looked rattled. And yeah, you know, he's, like we said, he was getting hit hard. Maybe he was dealing with a little bit of an injury by the end of that game, but he just, he didn't look good. No. And what a difference a week makes. How bad is that Raiders team after seeing yeah. what the Ravens <laughs> did coming in? Oh my Lord. Yeah. We want to talk about the saints being bad, man. The Raiders. Oh gosh. Like they're in a new city. They just moved to Las Vegas, right? They can't afford to, to like the Saints are entrenched. The Saints have a fan base. The Saints fans aren't leaving. They might get mad. They might say, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. But they'll also be mad. They they don't the, the Raiders don't have a fan base in Las Vegas yet. They have to earn that. <laughs> they're no, not the, doing the it. hockey team might be drawing more than the Raiders right now. Right, right, right. They're gonna try to add an NBA team because they're like, man, this football stuff isn't stuff. But yeah, the, so yeah, the Raiders are bad. Like, the Raiders are so bad. How bad are they? The Raiders are so bad that they tricked you into thinking the Saints were going to win more than one game the rest of the season. Oh, man. They definitely tricked me into thinking a two-game win streak was possible. Yeah, crazy, right? Who, who's going to get that? So that's a good segue into the final segment, which is we're going to kind of recap. It's going to be a quick one. We're going to kind of reset and talk about the final eight games and where we expect to see some wins. If you're listening to Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. Subscribe. Wrapping things up on a cheery edition of Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller alongside Jeff Nowak here talking about what lies ahead for this black and gold team the rest of the way. Right now, they sit three and six on the season, just two and four at home too, Jeff. That's abysmal and unheard of for this squad. I mean, I guess in recent years, it's not so out of the question. But looking at the remaining games, you know, you start thinking about what is a realistic record this team's going to end up with. And this week we got a Sunday nooner in Pittsburgh and this Steelers squad ain't what it used to be either. They've been struggling, but they are coming off a bye week. Got to love those nooners. Got a lot of them. (laughs) Got a lot of them and expect a lot more of them in the future. Yeah. So like the first thing you should, we want to look at is like, okay, so the NFC South, let's reset that Falcons at four and five bucks at four and five saints at three and six Panthers at two and seven. So, you know, as bad as things feel right now, and like, I don't want to be an optimist. I'm tired of it. I don't want to do yeah, it anymore. I I'm the same way. It's like, I'm tired of talking about how bad the South is and that there's still a chance. Right. But from a mathematical perspective, <laughs> right? Like, like you, like until you are eliminated from the playoffs, you have to make decisions as if you can get there. Right. And so from a mathematical perspective, they are very much alive in this division, especially considering they have the tiebreaker over the Falcons and they have a game in hand against both the Bucks and the Falcons. Yeah, so, prime time against the Bucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Anyway, so <laughs> what record do you feasibly have to get to to make the playoffs? Probably 8 and 9. Like you could probably in this division make the playoffs at 8 and 9 assuming no one gets on a streak, which <laughs> no one has shown you any indications that they might. I think the Bucks, if anyone, have the best chance to get on a streak, but I think 8 and 9 gives you a reasonable chance to win this division, which would mean that the Saints would have to finish five and three over their last eight games. Now, it shouldn't be impossible, but it feels that way right now. So if you look at their final eight games, so I'll just run through them and then we can talk about individual. Steelers, Rams, 49ers, Bucks, then a bye week. Then you close with Falcons, Browns, Eagles, Panthers. So you have four games, a bye, and then four more games. There's two teams on there that I think the Saints are going to lose to by double digits. And that is the 49ers and the Eagles. Both road matchups, yeah. Yeah. If you eliminate those two games, the other six opponents have a combined record of 18 
and 33. I feel like we need the dumb and dumber gif or quote like, so you're saying there's a chance. So that is a 35% win percentage. The Saints at three and six have a 33% win percentage. So like, I get it. This is a bad team. The teams they are playing a lot are of bad equally teams. bad. Like, so right. that's what, you know, like there should be some wins in there. The question is, are there five? And I don't know if that's true. So if you lose to the, the 49ers and the Eagles, you have one more loss baked in and it can't be to the Bucks, Right. So we can just start with, okay, Steelers in week 10, two and six, Kenny Pickett, rookie quarterback. What do you, I think the Saints win that game. I know, I guess I got to worry about them playing outside in the cold weather conditions, but I mean, heck, playing at home in, in a controlled environment and you're in your own house ain't working. I, I agree. This should be a team they should beat, but I felt the same way also when they were in Arizona. So I really don't know at this point. And I, I guess coming off a of bye week, Pittsburgh kind of worries me. So are you, are you calling that a win or a loss? Um, it's a reluctant win for me. I'll go with that as well. Okay, so yeah, we're we're I think I think they're going to win that game. They'll put you at four and six, right? Next week you are hosting the Rams. Now that sounds a lot more intimidating than it is. You are hosting the reigning Super Bowl champions, but Not if there's one team <laughs> that has been more disappointing than the Saints, it has been the Rams. They have been abysmal. They can't block. They can't. They, they, they can't defend. You know, and they can't guard the sideline with less than a minute left in the game. Right. They are incapable of doing the Saints any favors. Right. Beating the Bucks, which I thought the entire game they were going to. And then all of a sudden they lost. Right. Um, I think it was like 40 some odd seconds. Tom Brady is like, oh, I got this. Yeah. They beat him in the playoffs last year, although they did try to blow at like a 20 point lead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, so I'm not going to say the Saints win that game, but I think it's possible. It's not a game like the Rams game. I mean, the 49ers and the Eagles are like the games. Like You can already tell where I'm going to go with that. Yeah. I think they can win this game. I think this is close. I'm still going to chalk it up as a loss, though. Um, I'm curious, obviously, to see what the Rams end up doing before coming to New Orleans. That offensive line just looks offensive. And Stafford is just having a miserable season. Uh, I know Cooper Cup's a little banged up. They have no running game. And the defense definitely isn't what it used to be. I'm going to say the Saints pull out a win over the Rams, even though, you know, there's that lingering Nola no call feeling whenever they, you know, they're, they're, they're around. Every, every time I see the Rams, I can't help but think of that game. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. But I still think this team is incapable of winning two games in a row. So <laughs> uh, I don't think it starts there. At the 49ers. Ugh. I mean, I don't think we need to talk about this one too much. It's like, hey, and they got Chris McCaffrey now. It's wild to me that team is four and four. I, yeah. you know, and obviously they're they're much better since Trey Lance went down. It's a bummer for him personally, and I think he's going to come back. He's going to be the starter. But they're a better team without a rookie quarterback. Like they, their baseline is way higher with Jimmy Garoppolo than rookie Trey Lance. Could we be seeing the future like, Saints quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo? You know I said rookie Trey Lance twice. He's a second year player. He's not a rookie. <laughs> It's possible. It's very possible. But it's like, you know, it's how many how many not exciting quarterbacks do you want to run through? Like, yeah, I know. Is Andy Dalton not enough for you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't I I really don't think he'll be back next season kind of thing. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves with that. And it'll be some young quarterback that Jameis ends up mentoring. Yeah, I agree with that. But I'm I'm chalking that up as a loss. Yeah, agreed. So you would have them at this point. At. I got them at five, five and, seven. and seven. It would be five and seven. I would have them at four and eight. Still no bye week. <laughs> yeah. Still no bye week. Nope. I think that the Saints own Raymond James Stadium. That is the next matchup, week 14. Man, and I hate Week those 13 on Monday Night Football. I cannot stand their, their pirate cannons that they fire off for everything. Yeah, well, they never fire when the Saints go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something you can never get used to, too, even though you're bracing for it. The best part is, like, it last, like, you're like, oh, well, when it's Drew Brees, it's like, wow, 38 to 3. Yeah, okay, Drew Brees, whatever. Taysom Hill goes in there and it's 9 to nothing. And, you know, I think that the Saints win that game. I think that the Bucs are in very bad shape. And I think the Saints go in there and win that game. So 
for me, that would put them at five and eight heading into the bye. Would you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to have it as a loss, unfortunately, just because I had them beating the Rams and, and uh, the Pittsburgh, the Rams, and I think they lose at San Fran, at Tampa, and they limp into the bye week. So that would be, I said, five and eight then for me. We would both have them at five and eight. So by okay, our own right. estimation, they have one more loss that they can accept in order to make the playoffs and win the division at eight and nine. So you have that bye week, you come back against the Falcons. To me, that's a win. I think the Falcons are in tank mode at that point. I think they've lost two or three more games. They're moving on from Marcus Mariota. They put Desmond Ritter in. He's struggling. I think the Saints win this game. I like that. A win at home against Atlanta coming off the bye week. They should be rested a lot more healthier, playing your hated rival. You should be up for that game. Uh, Then after that, unfortunately, we got Christmas in Cleveland, and Deshaun Watson will be back, which will be interesting. Yes, Deshaun Watson will be back. I don't think that he will be at his kind of peak at that point. Sure, right. And how much will Cleveland be playing for? He hasn't played football in a year and a half. Yeah. Like, to think that he's just going to show up midway through the season on a new team and a new offense and be good, I think, is a big question mark. Now, can the Saints stop Nick Chubb? (laughs) I don't know. But I think, and this is kind of where I'm at, if this season is going to go well, you're going to get some momentum. You're, you just won two division games in a row. You're feeling good. You know that it's do or die. I think the Saints go into Cleveland and win. Because keep in mind, the Browns are three and five, right? There's a chance they get to this game and they are done. Like their season's over. They might be incentivized to not even play Deshaun Watson. So I think the Saints get on a run here. They win three games in a row. I'm worried about this because it's going to be in a, a short week for and a travel week. It's a Saturday game, I'm just realizing. It's not even on Sunday because Christmas Eve is Sunday. So they're, I mean, Christmas Day is Sunday. So they're playing Saturday, December 24th, noon in Cleveland. Another probably cold, wintry mix. I, I, don't, I don't have a good feeling about it. So I have them, they beat Atlanta, but they end up an, a win-loss right there. They end up losing in Cleveland and not looking good. I have them then losing again in Philadelphia the next week on New Year's Day. So you, you're you going to end up having them at 7-10. and 10. Yeah, because then they beat Carolina, who's playing for absolutely nothing. Right. So 5-8. and eight, And that rule's not around to ruin us, our, our, our be, last so game. Be 6-8 and eight after the Falcons game. I would have them at 7-8 and eight after Week 16 because I think they beat the Browns. You would have okay. them at 6-9. and, nine. and nine. Right, right. That's it. 6-9, and nine, right. 6-9. and nine. Just like last year, they're going to they're gonna just miss the playoffs. We're going to be talking about woulda, shoulda, coulda games. Oh, they could, you know, they Carolina, uh, uh, all these other matchups during the it's season. It's going to be different, though. It's going to be different because you're not trying to sneak in as a wild card. You're trying to win your division. And you're if, trying to sneak in as a division winner, right. And if they're able to do this, and, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being this – hopeless optimist here but if they're able to do this that means that they also have the tiebreaker over the falcons and the bucks and that's significant to me because i also have them losing in philadelphia philadelphia is too good maybe this is a game where the eagles get a little cocky and they're like wow i beat them twice in a row we own their first round pick they're dead in the water but the saints go in on a three-game win streak maybe they have some confidence maybe they show up Maybe they have a different quarterback at that point. I don't know. I still have it as a loss because it's. I'm not going to bet on a 3-6 and six team going on the road on national television. I assume it's national television on New Year's Day. And beating a team that is currently the last unbeaten team in the NFL. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they're still unbeaten at that point. Yeah, I'll just um, look for Philadelphia to want to continue to bury the Saints to help their draft status. And obviously, C.J. Gardner-Johnson exactly wants to talk so what much. What I was about to off. say. All of that. But I'm going to come back to there's 0% chance CJ allows that team to be flat in that game. Absolutely right. right. So, you know, I I think that's going to make it difficult. I don't think you're going to win that game. And you know what? Might be an ultimate troll job, too, if this ends up getting away from the Saints too much in Philadelphia. Fourth quarter, the Eagles put an Ian book to rub a little salt in their wound. Like a human victory cigar. Yeah, right. Okay, so yeah, I, I and then so yeah, so you have them losing there, I have them losing there, and then I have them winning week 18 against the Panthers. Now, for me... That would put them at eight and nine, or you would put them at seven and ten, which is funny because you began this optimistically. You have them winning back-to-back games against the Steelers and the Rams, and then somehow they end up getting 
to seven and 10 for you. And for me, they get to eight and nine. I think things get worse before they get better. You think things get better and then fall off a cliff. Yeah, because I just think that that back-to-back road hole that they're going to have to do, San Fran, Tampa Bay, before this bye week, too, they're just going to be so run down. I just think that the gas is going to be a little too empty for this team. I think they're going to get up for that Bucks matchup. I don't think they're going to lose to the Bucks. I really don't. Good thing is, is like that that offensive line for for Tampa Bay isn't protecting Tom either. And it's finally a game where you don't have to chase a guy around. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Like, I think this defense is built to beat Tom Brady. Even as bad as everything has gone, they held that offense to three points in three quarters, right? Like, they they can win that game. The bad thing, though, is right now, since getting his or announcing his divorce, Tom Brady's 2-0. and Yeah, but it does look terrible doing it. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. The end result. I still think there's optimism to get to eight and nine. And I can see that happening too. I think we're right there. Obviously, we're just a win apart. Yeah, and so the question is then: Can you get into the playoffs at eight and nine? Now, I don't know. I think the Falcons are going to fall back. It's a question of whether the Bucks, you know, do, do the Bucks win five of their final eight games? Well, look, I don't luck, know. Lucky Munich this week. They get to see. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers play the Seattle Seahawks. Yay. Yeah. And I mean, like, so, yeah, you might yeah, – 7 and 10 winning the division is also not out of the question. Now, after after the Seahawks this week, the the Bucks go to Cleveland, and I don't think – they don't get to Sean Watson, though, right? He's not going to be no. back yet. No, he'll be back a week after that. So they, they luck out you. Of there. course, right. But they do still have – Niners, Bengals, Cardinals, Panthers, Falcons also. Besides Saints. Yeah. And so, they're at 49ers, so that's nice. You really what you really need if you're the Saints, you really need the Seahawks to beat the Bucks. Go Gino. So let's see. Like, like can you find there can you find five wins here? So Seahawks, I'm gonna mark that as a loss. Browns, I'm gonna mark that as a win. That's one that's one and one. Saints loss one and two. 49ers loss one, one and three. Bengals win two and three. Cards loss two and four. And then Bucks, Panthers, but Falcons. So four and four. So that would put them at eight and nine. Yeah, I'm not sure, sir, about the arrows. I, I I just don't see I still don't know how they the Saints lost to the Cardinals either. That game blows my mind along with the Bengals loss. Like there's so many we're gonna be able to go back in this year and it's have in Arizona. About. That's 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 my logic for that is Tom has to go to Arizona and play a night game. And we all know that on Christmas Day, and we all know that Tom likes to go to bed early. But he's used to not being around his family, so he's going to be fine. True. He <laughs> wants an excuse to not hang out with his family on Christmas because he doesn't have – oh, that's me. Oh, right. Now we're just hitting below Giselle the Giselle gets the kids for Christmas. Definitely. You're never around, Tom. This is mean. I don't This is mean-spirited. We're talking it's, – it's Christmas, Steve. No, I know, and I'm, I'm thankfully uh, I'm just happy that you know the Saints and getting to be on the team playing. They play Christmas Eve at noon. Thankfully, I'll be home Christmas Eve at night to be with my family, kind of thing. Because that would be a little a bit of a bummer to be alone in a hotel room with no family around in Cleveland, of all places, too. For sure. But all right, yeah. So I, I like. I, I, as always, end up being an optimistic person. I think eight and nine is a realistic thing for the season. And the the biggest reason is this team's not going to go in the tank because they have no incentive to, right. right? Whereas the Falcons, the Panthers, once you get to like four and six, four and seven, you know, what are you doing? Like, why are you, like, you would, you benefit more from a pick than you do from maybe luckily getting in. So that's my logic there. And like the Browns, another example, like they know that they're not going to win this season, even if Deshaun comes back. But to, to me, I picked this team in the beginning of the year to finish 10 and seven. I, I'm, I got the flip of that. I think that's right. Seven and 10, just because of the, uncon- you know, inconsistent play, the injuries, and man, I'm, I'm still, I do not like this such a late bye week. I think this hurts this team so much. But I think if you knew, if you knew before the season, how big of a struggle you were going to have earlier in the season, you probably, you probably wouldn't have uh, asked for yeah that late bye. But as do said last night on the post game show, one game, one game season every week, obviously we, we I mean, we get to look ahead 
uh, at this and have some fun. But obviously the Saints, we know, aren't doing this at all. I think it's funny. Cam Jordan's like uh, a lot of times he's not even sure who they're playing the following week. He even messed up uh, this this week in the locker room talking about, oh, you know, we're heading into, you know, week nine of the season. It's like, no, we're week 10. He's, he was missing I, I think he said they had 10 games left. Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, and it was like, no, Cam, you have nine. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, okay. I think that's going to wrap it up for us there on Inside Black and Gold. You heard it here first. Saints are going to lose out. No, you know what? Nothing would surprise me at this point in the season. I'd just be like, meh, okay. Yeah, nothing would surprise me. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. My name is Jeff Nowak. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You follow Steve Geller over at Steve Geller WWL. Make sure to hit that subscribe button for your podcast. And thanks, as always, for listening. It's going to get better. Black and gold versus black and yellow this week. Yeah, make sure it's yellow. Don't tell anyone the Steelers have black and gold because that is a lie and they know it. There's a song and they they claim it. They should stick to it. Anyway, that's it. Peace, y'all.